Before we get into another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast, we want to say thank you to all our listeners. We appreciate your prayers, support, and encouragement. We also want to send a special thanks to our monthly financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to equip college students at historically black colleges and universities and facilitate seminars for pastors and leaders because of your financial support. If the Jude 3 Project has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a monthly partner. No gift is too small or large, whether you give one time or monthly. We appreciate it. You can give online at jude3project.com by hitting the donate button or by mail by sending your gift to Jude 3 Project at P.O. Box 26206, Jacksonville, Florida, 32226. Thanks again. Now let's join the Jude 3 Project podcast. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Jude 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jude 3 Project. watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Justin Gibney. Welcome, Justin. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for I'm coming glad to be on. The, glad to be on the show. Awesome. Glad to have you. For those who don't know you, um, just give a little bit of information about yourself. Sure. Um, I'm an attorney and a political strategist in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I've run all sorts of campaigns within the state from infrastructure stuff to obviously running uh, candidates' campaigns. Um, and I'm also the co-founder of the AND campaign. And the AND campaign is is really a coalition of urban Christians who are determined to kind of put a an authentic and biblical, biblical is important, to put an authentic and biblical um, witness into the public square. Um, the AND campaign literally means compassion and conviction. So what we're trying to do is respond to what we've called uh, the great false choice. Um, and so as we see it, a lot of people, when they enter the socio-political arena, uh, they do so with a feeling that they're going to be forced to either go all the way to the left or all the way to the right. Uh, we don't think that those are viable options for Christians. We think that if you go all the way to the right, then you're going to uh, be forced to kind of sacrifice uh, your compassion, if you go all the way to the left, to some extent, you're forced to, um, and this out often happens in the urban context, right, that you're kind of forced to surrender your convictions. We don't think that's right. Um, and the idea really came from Ephesians 4, uh, where, where Paul is telling the earth, uh, church of Ephesus about unity within the church. And he goes on to say that regardless of what's going on in the world or what teachings are coming to you or what type of uh, uh, scheming people are doing that mature Christians are able to speak the truth and love. And we took that truth and love to mean that the gospel is compassion and conviction, uh, that it's biblical values and social justice. Too often in our political landscape, people try to separate social justice from biblical values. And the truth of the matter is that they're, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, we think that they, they should be placed together and that's really what the gospel is about. So we're trying to create um, a new framework for Christians to get involved, a new platform 
and really bring some organization to, to Christians in the social political space. That's awesome. And I had a chance to be with you, uh, you all, the Ann campaign team down in Atlanta uh, week, uh, last month, I think it was. Um, and I enjoyed yeah, my time uh, with, with you guys. Um, we're going to talk about today something that I think is important for our time. It's politics and protest in the digital age. And this is something that I have to catch myself on because we live in a reactionary environment on social media. And yeah. sometimes you'll, I'll, I know personally, I'll retweet things and then like three hours later, I'm like, mm, should I have retweeted that or should I get more facts? So I will say something to join on a hashtag without really being informed about it. Um, it just sounded like something that I would be convicted by. And the, <laughs> the years as the, as how how social media is like op pieces run social media so mm. oftentimes i'll see an op piece or people will see an op piece and just read the first the headline and not really think through through what the author is saying and repost it or or repost they'll read the whole article or i've been guilty of this and forget that it's an op piece which is just somebody's opinion um, it's not always <laughs> laced with facts. And it's just, it's very hard in this day because you have op pieces coming from Washington Post, CNN. So it's not like some random website. Um, so you take it as facts and that's not um, something we should do. Um, and I, I heard you talk about on your podcast, is it Church and Politics? Church Politics. Church Politics. Um, yeah. Talking about this kind of reactionary approach on social media, why do you think it's important that um, we we discuss this? Well, I think within whatever we do as Christians, we have to do it to a certain standard. If we're going to be about our father's business, then there is a standard that has to be applied. I think sometimes we feel like if we're doing social justice and we're on the right side of the conversation, then we can do it any way we want. I think that's false. I, I think there is a wrong way to do the right thing, and so you can have. You know, you can be right on a certain conversation, but that doesn't mean you can express it anyway. That doesn't mean that you can um, use any any type of language or always have to clap back. I think it's important for us to understand that we have to not only do the right thing and be active and be involved, but do it, do it the right way. Mm -hmm. I think that's so true. Um, one of the things I know that the ANCAM stresses is being informed before um given an opinion and you talked about on church politics, how you've received flack from that because you didn't respond fast enough. How has that been navigating through that? And what's your reason for pausing before you respond? Yeah. You know, part of it is just experience. Right. And so in being in politics for almost a decade, I've seen so many people go wrong, whether it be politicians or other folks when they respond immediately, when they don't have all the facts. I mean, I've seen it so many times that, We've gotten flack for it, but it really doesn't bother me because I know what the consequences of, of, of moving uh, too fast are. Uh, and so I think just my experience helps me say, well, I, I know I know you can't move so quickly. And then I also understand that it's not as effective as you think it is to have an immediate response, especially if that response is not informed. If that response is not thorough, then you're really not. Uh, accomplishing what you think you're accomplishing. So the idea that immediate responses are, are, are great responses or you have to do that, you know, we have to be strong enough to look past the pressure to respond to, to stuff like that and say, what is the right way to do it? Have I done my due diligence? Have I done my homework? Do I really know what's going on? But not only that, 
do I see the full landscape? Because one of the things that happens in politics, and, and I've talked about this before, everybody kind of thinks they're an immediate um, uh, expert. Uh, but what happens is if you don't know the full landscape and you don't know all the dynamics that are going on within politics, you may be actually helping your enemy, right? Uh, you may be actually assisting someone that really isn't trying to help you at all because you're just jumping into it. And this is a chess match. It is not tic-tac-toe. It is not checkers. And so it takes time to really understand the landscape, to understand the, all the dynamics so that you know that you're even helping your cause because you may not be if you jump into to it too quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an excellent point because when you talk about being informed, it takes a lot of time to be informed on one particular issue. And the, the social media landscape, you have a different issue every hour. With our current administration, you have a different tweet, you know, uh, in maybe every two or three hours. And so you're, you're might be starting to research one thing, but something else happens. So you feel the need to respond to all of them. Um, because you feel like you, it's, it's some kind of, uh, like that's the way you could tell you're invested in the, in the fight and that you're really about social justice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do we, how do we distinguish with what's, um, what's helpful and what's harmful, especially on social media, because joining hashtags is really popular. Um, how is that? What are the, the benefits to that? And what are the kind of negatives to that? Yeah, I think you decide that through a long-term strategy. So I don't, I don't think you decide that on a case-by-case -case basis. And I think that's where Christians in a lot of ways have gone wrong, is we think, we, you know, when an election comes up, we're thinking about that election right now, where a lot of other groups are thinking about the election eight, four years ahead of time, right? So I think the first thing that we need to do is actually have a kind of a long-term strategy where we're all on the same page. And then what you do when you see certain things is your group says, well, is this something we need to talk about or is it something that we can let go because we don't want to be uh, seen as, you know, crime wolf or something like that? Everything doesn't have to be responded to. But you first want to check, number one, that it fits in with the, the biblical worldview and you're responding in the right way. But number two, that it fits in with a larger strategy, because what we talk about a lot of times is righteous efficacy. So in, when you respond to something, number one, you better, you know, you need to be trying to respond in a, in, a, in a way that aligns with the gospel, but also in a way that's actually effective, that's actually going to get something done. And that's hard to do on a case-by-case -case basis if you don't have a more comprehensive, long-term strategy to go along with, with what you're doing. But it's also hard to do on an individual basis. So if Lisa is deciding all these things from herself, well, she's kind of going against you know, um, the unity of the body, because we know we're, we do best and we mature together and we work best together. So I think it's important for us to start talking, communicating, you know, letting Lisa lead where she does an excellent job in leading, letting others, you know, put, put their talents out there. And I think that's the best way when we're actually working as a body, that's the best way for us to respond rather than on a case by case basis. I think that that case by case basis stuff is going to always get you in trouble. Yeah. And, and I think knowing that social media isn't the only outlet for you to respond. I think some of the people that are doing uh, the most work aren't necessarily tweeting about it. They're actually doing the work on a, a policy level and being more strategic about it. Uh, how can we transition from just social media activists to real activists? I think a long, a long term, a long term plan, a long term conversation. Um, 
you know, you hit it on the head. I talk a lot about policy. Let's get to the policy because I may win this debate. I may snap on you and my clapback may be stronger than your clapback. But what did I really accomplish? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, it may make me feel good. I may be prideful and it may be, I may feel good that I got a one up on you. But the way I look at it, Lisa, is there's kids that are, that are hungry, right? There are people that are suffering out there and me making the discourse that much more toxic is not helping them at all. And no matter how much you dislike someone that's in power, you never know when they might listen to you. you and I'm not saying you have to support them, but you have to always be able to have a civil, civil and constructive conversation with them because you never know how God is gonna work. And he might say, you know what, that makes sense. I mean, we see that in the Bible with Daniel. He didn't give up the conversation. He stood his ground and every now and then, you may be surprised at who's willing to listen to you. Uh, so I think the transition is, is one in making sure that uh, you're not primarily doing your activism on social media. And I'm not going to say that it's not at all useful. I think it is. And we use that, we use that um, form you know, as often as we can when we think that it, it makes sense. But the real work is done in the background. And I think people have to get an understanding that activism is not, is not glamorous. It's not something that usually happens in a year uh, very quickly. Now, when there's opportunities to do something quickly, then okay, you might be able to do that. But if you really want to get the work done, if you look at how Fannie Lou Hamer acted, if you look at, look at MLK and all these people, if you read their biographies and read the strategies and all the things they went through, it wasn't quick. Um, it, w- it was a sacrifice. It took a lot of time. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of cameras where you could do your social justice pose and your social justice clothes and all that stuff to get you know, to get notoriety, they were doing the stuff that nobody saw um, most of the time and that was really tough and, and, and put their lives on the line. That's where the real work is done. Um, not, not being overly worried about image and things of that nature. And I think that kind of comes in and clouds things too with how this is all kind of so connected to fashion now. It's so connected to entertainment now. That's not always a bad thing, but I think it can obscure uh, the true purpose and how to be effective in, in that arena. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, something that I think about as it relates to policy and it relates to politics is the fact that sometimes we uh, devote as young professionals a lot of attention to social media and to the national um, the national campaigns, but do very little uh, for local campaigns. And I, I heard a quote, uh, all politics is local. Um, how how much attention should we be paying to, to local um, campaigns versus national? A lot, a lot of attention. And in fact, almost primarily your attention should be on local things. Now that's not to say that, you know, the federal and national politics aren't important, but when you're talking again about righteous efficacy, that efficacy part of it, a lot of the things that most directly affect people are happening on a local level. If you want to have a conversation about uh, criminal justice, for me to have a conversation, you got to be able to tell me who your uh, your district attorney is. You know, who, who are the solicitors? Who are actually the people that are that are are, are, are um, arguing these cases? That are that are um, making the recommendations to the judges? You need to know that stuff because most of the people who are in jail are not in federal prisons. Uh, but you're not necessarily going to learn that just kind of doing the social media activism. You need to be on the ground, get to know the people in uh, the community people in your area. You should try to get some, you know, equity within that community and work very hard 
because that's really where the rubber meets the road. So I think a lot of time should be spent on local politics um, because there's, there's so much going on that people miss. But once again, it's not glamorous, right? It's, it's not, it may not look uh, great on Instagram or whatever, but it is real work and a lot, of, and a lot, and a lot goes into it. And, and those people who've done it and know um, understand the importance of local level and really digging in and getting your hands dirty in that conversation. Yeah, and I, that's so important and true what you were saying because I, I have a friend who used to work for a congressman on the Hill and she would say they would get correspondence and letters from from people and they're like, this doesn't have anything to do with us. So they just get rid of it. Um, and so the person might think, oh, I, I wrote a letter to my congressperson, but that really should have went to your your local uh, council person. A school so, board member or something, yeah. Mm-hmm, knowing where to send stuff, I think it's, it's half the battle um, for for so many people, um, for real change to happen, because we automatically assume send it to the congressperson, send it to the president, um, and we miss it a lot of times. Yeah, and the other part of that is sending a letter to your uh, school board member or sending a letter to your council member is way more effective because they get less letters, and so your congressman may never even see that letter, but it's a Lot, uh, the chances that your school board member sees it or that your council person sees it or your county you know, uh, board member sees it are a lot higher. And there are things that they can do with more immediately. So if you had five friends and you and your five friends just focused on local politics and you were in those folks' faces week upon week all the time, you're going to get something done. If you're willing to stand in there uh, for the long term, you're going to get some serious things done. And I know because I've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people just don't show up to the to the meetings. I went to a, a school board meeting to support a, a friend uh, that was a teacher uh, a few months back, and I was just amazed at how little, uh, how small the audience was. And it's like these are the what the decisions that are made for our. I live in Jacksonville, Florida, Duval County, so that's a big school system, and to have yeah. just that little. A um, little bit of people there. I was like, man, if if a lot of people showed up, I mean, it was it was full, but the room was small. But I was just thinking, it represents this this board represents a a million a million people. Um, it's a million people in Jacksonville, but yep. think of how many students are affected under that umbrella. So just showing up is is critical because you can have a voice at those meetings because there's not a lot of people there. Um, when we talk about social media, there's a tendency for people to say, well, if I see somebody that doesn't agree with me, I'll block them. Um, and we realize that you're blocking them doesn't change their opinion. It seems like we're creating a more a society where we are intolerant of other people's views, even if you're somebody that we that we call we think is immoral. Um, how would you advise us to deal with that? Because we have to work. You know, we have uh, T.D. Jake said this on uh, the Breakfast Club when he was talking about our current administration. He was like, I, I didn't I didn't vote for him. I don't support him. But we have to work with him because that's what we have in office. And th- four years is a long time to be mad and not do anything. And I was like, that, that's very true, because at a certain point, if he fails and sends us into all kind of chaos, that's not just his failure. That affects all of us. So how would you advise us to interact with people 
um, I, I get frustrated with people that are, are, are Trump supporters, but it's still, I still have to engage them because that's the right thing to do. Um, yeah. How would you advise us on that? Well, I think that I think the Bible gives us a great example of that. If you look at what Paul did, Apostle Paul did in Acts 17, I am quite certain that Apostle Paul did not want to necessarily speak to all those people that he went to persuade in the Agora when he was on his uh, mission to Athens. But he went in there, he went to the Agora, where you had the best philosophers, the best thinkers, the best debaters, and he went in there to persuade them, right? Because as a, as a, as a disciple, that's what he was supposed to do. That was part of his discipleship, was trying to persuade people um, and, and trying to have conversations with people on their level. The interesting thing about Paul when he went into the Agora is that he was using things like the Socratic method, which means he was using their rhetorical devices in his conversation with them because that what was, go what was, go what was going to uh, actually touch and that's how he could reach them and really get them to listen. So if you look in the Bible, I think you have many instances of people saying this is what discipleship is about. It's, it's about going in there. If I'm going to protect my neighbor, and here's my thing, and I have an issue with, because there is a lot of people who say, I don't want to talk to this person. I'm, they don't want me to be alive, so why would I talk to them? I'll tell you why you talk to them. You talk to them because there's some little four-year-old girl in the projects who's not being treated right, who's being underserved. So am I going to let my pride stop me from talking to someone when I could be helping that person out, when I could swallow my pride and say, hey, listen to me, I'm going to keep trying because I'm trying for her. Even if my pride's hurt, even if I don't think they're listening or care about me, that's a reason to try and that's a reason to have these conversations. I think that's one of the unfortunate things about social media and social media isn't all bad. I think it can be a great tool, but it allows for a lot of confirmation bias. And we know that confirmation bias is the idea that I'm really going to only listen to those, read those, and hear out those people who only who are con confirming what I believe already. And because of the tools on social media, we get a lot of that. So we have information coming at us all the time, but it's hard to say that we're better informed because we're really just getting it from one side. And in a way, that allows us to avoid dealing with our neighbor. Because now at this point, we're only dealing with people who we want to agree with while our neighbor could be next door and we don't even have to talk to them, let alone love them and uh, treat them like we, you know, we would treat ourselves. We don't have to have those conversations. And so I think as Christians, we have to make sure that we open it up and we have conversations with everybody. To me, it's a matter of somewhat of humility. It's a matter of charity. Uh, but most importantly, to protect the vulnerable, you have to talk to the people that are that are that can be somewhat vicious. You have to talk to the people that are empowered to really do that. So it's hard for me to understand how we think we can withdraw from that, but at the same time, be champions for the poor and be champions for uh, the most vulnerable in our vulnerable in our society. I don't think those two, two things go together. Yeah, and I think that's that's so crucial. I was listening to Ebony. I think her last name is Williams. She works for Fox, and she's a um, a Democrat. Um, and she was saying, they were asking her why she works for Fox. And she was saying, because as a prosecutor, either she was a prosecutor or defense attorney, she realized that the people that watch Fox were the people that were in the jury box. And she wanted to humanize African-Americans for that um, white conservative crowd because they only yeah. saw black people one way. But if she was on the network and she presented a... a um, a different perspective and kind of humanized African-Americans for them. She felt like she was helping the cause 
in the criminal justice system because one of the things is they don't see us as fully human. So if you detach from mm -hmm. them, um, you kind of don't help them change their perspective. And so I thought that was that was yeah. very interesting. And it's hard. It's very. It's great. I mean, it's hard and it's uncomfortable. But in so many ways, that's what this discipleship is. You know, you don't get to avoid what's hard and what what brings you out of your comfort zone, especially when it comes to those folks who need you. I mean, I, I just don't see a justification for withdrawing because that seems personal to me. That seems like you're doing that for yourself. Are you doing that for the person that needs you, the person that you're supposed to be fighting for? I don't think so. And so we need to rethink that. I mean, I don't, I don't think people have bad intentions when they go that route. But as Christians, we need to correct that conversation because I, I don't stop talking to anyone, um, especially when they're in power, especially when they're in a position where they could you know, hurt a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's so, so, so important. What would you like to say to our listeners on this topic that we haven't already addressed? Well, for, the first thing I want to do is, is, you know, I, I've been speaking somewhat in the, in the negative about it, but I want to, I want to affirm just, uh, the, the, the need to be engaged in politics and protest in general, right? I want to affirm that. I want to, I want people to know that that is important. And, and, and to, in many ways it's biblical. I mean, the Bible is full of, of protests and matters that had political implications. I mean, if, if we go to John 19, we know that the Pharisees used political implication to persuade Pilate to crucify Jesus. We got uh, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, Moses and Pharaoh. I, I want to affirm that th these are things we're supposed to do because the other side of it is you have people saying that we're not so really supposed to be involved in those things. And to me, that's just plainly bad theology. Uh, I also want to affirm doing it with passion, doing it passionately, because some people would say, well, why are you acting like that? Why are you so upset? Why? No, no, no. It's good to be passionate about what you're doing. It's, it's good to have a little fire uh, within that. I would bring up again that we have to make sure that we're staying within, that we're being charitable, that we're being humble and staying within the bounds that we've been given. Um, I, I don't think we can always be go out looking for a fight, but it's good to be um, to be serious and passionate about what you're doing. So the first thing I would, I would say is just to make sure that people understand that there's nothing wrong with it. You should be involved, but you have to go about it a certain way. You have to make sure that you're doing all these things from a biblical worldview. And so when we talk about the biblical worldview, we're going back to that conversation from Ephesians 4, being able to speak the truth in love. You know, I kind of see what's going on today with all that Trump is doing with all that, you know, Attorney General Sessions is doing, it's almost like a battlefield. And, and so people, especially on social media, people, there's all this smoke, there's all this noise, and Christians are trying to find their way through it as best they can. And sometimes we make mistakes in doing it. Sometimes I make mistakes in doing it um, as well. Uh, but I think we have to go back and lean on the gospel and we have to say, okay, when I enter into these conversations, these social political conversations, Am I primarily being a progressive? Am I primarily being a conservative? Or am I primarily a Christian? Because I know part of my testimony is for several years, especially when I first entered the political conversation, I was into, as soon as I left church, I was entering in these conversations as a progressive and I was trying to get a win. But I don't think that's necessarily how Christians can go about it. I think primarily we need to be coming from a biblical worldview. Um, but also, it's not necessarily about winning. 
It's about putting the correct witness into the public square and making people see Jesus, making sure people see Jesus through us. I think something else the biblical worldview tells us about these situations is that when we do engage in social justice, protest and politics, that we're doing it to glorify God. Because at the end of the day, you and I haven't saved anybody. We're not going to save anybody. Um, it's God that does that. It's God that makes the changes. Because I think we run into a problem when we forget that. Because we, we start thinking that it's us who's actually changing the person. And so we may even start affirming things that we shouldn't be affirming because we think our love is actually the thing that's, that's changing people and it's not. So I encourage people, always go back to a biblical worldview and, and also make sure that you're framing the issue. Make sure that your worldview is framing the issue. Part of the problem that I think we saw with the religious right and we even saw sometimes on the left was that we were letting other people frame the issues for us. And, and when an issue is framed wrong, then most of the time your answer is going to, when, when a question is framed wrong, then most of the time your answer is going to be wrong. So we have to make sure that things are properly framed. And the hard part and the hardest part for me to explain to people is, yes, we're going to try to get wins. Yes, we're going to try to do that with a sense of urgency, because when I see people hurting, I don't want to wait. But we do have to have an understanding that sometimes that takes time. And sometimes you do have to, in, in some ways, regroup at, while you're out there to make sure that everyone's on the same page, to make sure that there is some organization. Uh, and also that Christians are back on the front lines of the issues that are most important uh, to society right now. Mm -hmm. I think that's very crucial. Um, and, and you were talking and the thought came to my mind um, that something you share on church politics as well being able to critique the party you're participating in um, because that helps actually helps show that you have integrity uh, mm -hmm. because so much of what I see when some Christians side with parties, they're unable to critique that party. So if you're in a, if you're a Republican, you just, you act like there's no negative in it. Or if you're a Democrat, you act like there's no negative in it and you just go with the flow and everybody's like, no, what about this? And you're like, oh, that you're acting like it doesn't exist. So the ability to be honest about your party, even if you've chosen a, a particular party, I think you spoke to uh, on church politics. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. Um, because really what happens is, and it happened to me again, this is part of my testimony, is when you're deep in politics and you really get caught up in it, sometimes your political and ideological affiliation become religious in nature. Mm. And so what was happening to me was I wasn't basing my views on even moral issues on the gospel. I was basing them on the party's agenda or what the leaders of the party were saying. And so my, you know, so I was being blown here and there by the wind because I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, standing on biblical principles. And I think that happens all too often. What we talk about a lot in the, in, in the AND campaign is transcending politics. So, so we don't tell people that you can't be involved in a party. I'm a Democrat. I've been very active in the Democrat party for some time. Um, but you have to be able to step back and there should be some distance because if I'm in a conversation with a bunch of, uh, Democrats on serious issues, people should be able to point out who the Christian Democrat is. People should be able to point out who the Christian Republican is. And that's just part of being a, the salt and the light. I mean, again, all this stuff goes back to discipleship. Uh, none of this stuff is outside of what we see in the gospel and what we've been called to do. I have to be distinctive in character. And that goes for when I'm at work. That goes for when I'm at a political party meeting or anything else. 
And if I can't, um, if I can't criticize or if I can't think critically about my party, then something is really wrong. And what that really means is that I've been indoctrinated. And under no circumstances should Christians ever be indoctrinated by a party. Please participate in party politics. I think that's a very effective way to get it done. But, but when it comes up that you've been indoctrinated, that's, that's a problem. And I want to be very clear, the parties make it very hard not to be indoctrinated. Um, in the urban space, and I have a lot of friends that have run for office and um, are doing so now, but it's almost an understanding that when you run for office in the urban space, especially places like Atlanta, there's some convictions that you're not going to be able to bring with you. Not only are you not going to be able to talk about them, you're going to have to disavow those very clearly and maybe on several occasions uh, until we have the courage um, and, you know, until we have the courage and we come together to address those things, that's not going to change. You know, I ask people, I ask people a very simple question all the time, which is in the urban space, because that's where I'm at. I'm not saying it's better on the other side, but can you name me a well-known Christian politician or even a Christian activist uh, on the right in urban politics who really talks about some of those issues that are that are not popular in this space, that really talks about some of those social issues that are frowned upon in the uh, in polite society. It's hard to name one. Uh, and I think Christians, urban Christians, need to be concerned about that. Uh, we, need, we need to take responsibility for that and make sure that we're supporting people who do that and recruiting people who have the courage to stand up for what they believe. Mm-hmm. That's, help. That's really helpful. Um, I was reading... Um, Dr. Otis Moss put up a post today on Facebook and he was saying that uh, when he was on a panel with the activists, um, they were on the same page until they found out that he was a Christian. And then they just uh, kind of didn't want to hear anything he had to say, didn't want to engage him at all. And it was because they were just so anti-God. And it reminded me of this tension between some people in 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 movements in, in some people in in black lives matter who are kind of anti anything church related in the movement and that's not all because there are some spaces where uh blm has worked with the church um mm-hmm. so i don't want to paint this broad brush but in in some spaces they have been anti-god and i thought it was interesting because you can't even say we live in a day where we live where people are saying my truth, your truth, uh, relative truth, and people don't realize that without an absolute truth, justice really can't exist uh, on a broad scale. And so it's like you're working against each other because how can you say Black Lives Matter if there's no absolute truth? Because the other person can be operating by their own set of truth. And it just shows how people haven't thought out what they're saying to is logical conclusion and how they're really talking against each other without, un, un, um, without knowing it. Have you seen that a lot? Um, oh, all the time. I mean, you, you're asking the right questions. People really have not thought through their worldview to its logical conclusion, including Christians. Right. And that's, that's why I think the work that you're so, doing is so important. It allows people to think it through to that point so that you can actually explain it and know what you're talking about. Oh, I've seen that happen at the at the highest levels. And so it's not a matter of I don't even think it's a matter of education or many other things. There are people in every, you know, at every uh, level 
that have not thought things out or, you know, in a lot of ways, people are just doing doing the things that are effective at the moment. Um, and so it's, a, it's important that, as Christians, I think that drives the point home that we have to put a strong and distinctive witness in the public square. Yes, some people aren't going to like it, but if we're leading with compassion and, and, and they see that we care, eventually those people who are being sensible that are actually trying to get the right things done, uh, they'll open up and hear you out and hear what you have to say. Again, I, I worry about this conversation as it becomes more and more fashionable, as it becomes more and more um, entertainment oriented. I don't think that's always bad, but maybe you notice too that sometimes it's hard to see where the entertainment stops and the kind of the real social justice begins. It's hard, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to do that. And so when something's fashionable and being mean and toxic discourse is, is fashionable, you know, you're going to have a lot of people that just don't want to hear you out because what they're doing and, and you know, the fad, the fad that they're into just doesn't connect with that. Uh, so sometimes it's hard to see who's serious and who's not. But I think for those people who are serious, who are trying to do the right thing, if Christians lead with compassion, if we really lead with love and keep keep our, our conviction with, with us as well, I think people will will hear, hear us out, the people who are really trying to get some something done. Other folks, you know, you can't always control that. But we have to be who we are and we have to speak very clearly, but but a lot more humbly than sometimes we have in the past. True. Uh, the irony is that those who claim that there is an absolute truth when it comes to police brutality live like truth is relative. And those who claim that truth is relative live when it comes to this conversation like it's absolute. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's really it's really interesting. But the, it is truly true that it is become fashionable. Uh, correspondents get paid big bucks uh, to speak and be on uh, TV to bring this conversation to the forefront, but they do it in a way that it creates a clapback culture. Some of my favorite correspondents are clapbackers, and you you are you celebrate and repost that clapback, but then you think, what did what did that really do um, to in, to help um, the conversation? And something I've been really thinking through. As, as black young professionals, we have the privilege to argue about these things and we're not necessarily affected by them mm. every day. Mm. Um, we have the privilege with our education, with our, our de degrees, with our money and, and staying in a sometimes gentrified neighborhood arguing about mm. gentrification. Um, <laughs> uh -oh. it's, it's a privilege that we have to argue, but the people on the ground who are homeless, the people who are really affected by this day to day, we don't necessarily want to engage them or be around them, but we want to pretend like we're advocates for them. And I think that's something we should be careful of as black young professionals, because I see it all the time. It's easy for us to sit around and talk at brunch while uh, there's we're eating chicken and waffles and shrimp and grits and everybody's on bottomless mimosas. But do we really want to be in the trenches with these folks or do we just want to talk about it when it's fashionable and go to events and panels to feel like we do we're really engaged lisa you just you just went way too deep for me now that that is i mean you hit it on the head me me and uh uh my co-founder of the and campaign show baraka talk about that all the time you know it's easy for me to sit here with my starbucks and my apple computer and type all type of crazy stuff and it goes back to something i said earlier it is a privilege to be able to say, I don't want to talk to this person who's in power because I, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. 
Well, that the first thing that tells me is that you're in the protected class. That means that you're not immediately affected by all the things that are going on, because if you were, that wouldn't even be an option. You know, for the folks in the civil rights movement, when all that stuff was going on, in many ways, it wasn't even an option. Um, and a lot of people just do not have any equity in the community, but we're just talking. And I remember I, I had the blessing to, to have mentors who were very grassroots and who, who checked me very early on to say, hold up, you, you must not understand this. You know, there were some things that they had to get me straight on. And, I, and I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to be around people like that uh, to really let me know that you, you're blessed in a lot of ways, but there are a lot of things you don't know. And I think even some of the people who seem to be the largest activists on social media and all that stuff, a lot of times there's, there's, a, there's a good amount of, of privilege there and there's a disconnect with what's really going on on the ground. And I think we should all be aware of that, especially young professionals, because it's so easy to get caught up in the perception that you're down, to have the look that you're down, and you know the friends that make you feel like you're down. But until you're touching the ground and you're dealing with people who are really on a day-to-day basis dealing with those issues, you know, you're not going to know what's going on. You know, I've had people tell me, well, do we really have to talk about this issue or that issue? Can't we just focus on other things? I'm like, it's a privilege to decide not to deal with certain issues because you don't, you're not directly affected by them. Because again, you're, you're sort of in that protected class. So Lisa, I mean, you, you hit it on the head. I think you articulated it better than, better than I did. We have to be aware of that, and we have to look to, to reach out to people on the ground and be willing to learn from them. A lot of what I see in our class sometimes is elitism. Now, we would never admit that. That's not necessarily part of our style, but it's elitism when you won't really, you know, you won't really touch the ground, when you won't take the time to learn from people, whether they've been to school or not. Some of these people have way more wisdom than we do, and we need to, we need to tap into that. That's very, very true, and I think that's a good place to uh, end. What resources would you recommend when people are trying to to get into politics and to think uh, critically about politics and protests? Um, what would be, be books you would recommend, articles, websites, of course, the End Campaign's website, um, and any other resources you would recommend? Yeah, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to say read your local newspaper. Uh, read the agenda of your city council. Uh, read the agenda of your school board. Because in most cases, I know it's, this, it's, this, it's the case in Atlanta, most of your tax dollars are going to the school board. Uh, we, we complain about education and what's going on in education, but like you said before, we don't often actually go and see what's going through the school board and what they're talking about. Um, do those things. So I have a lot of other, you know, higher level things you could do, but I think that's a good way to start, to deal with the local stuff, have those conversations. Again, if, if you're, we, we talked about making sure that this, all this is being done through a biblical worldview. I do think, and it's a shameless plug, but I think church politics does, is, is very good at doing that. Um, but, but yeah, it takes some time to, to apply it. The thing is, the hard thing is too, there's not a whole lot of resources, right? And I think that's part of the problem. There were resources around, but I don't know if they're, they're all applied to the times right now. And so one of the things that the AND campaign is trying to do, and we're working with you and others to do that, is start creating more content and more uh, places that you can go to, get, to gain some guidance. Uh, but in general, get, get familiar with what's going on locally. Learn, learn that stuff, and then, you know, uh, by the time you get that down, we'll have some more resources out there for you. 
Awesome. How can people get in contact with you on social media? So I am, um, my Twitter handle is jgibbony14, J-G-I-B-O-N-E-Y 14 on Twitter. Um, and you can kind of follow us. We also have uh, at and campaign. Uh, at and campaign is the and campaign's Twitter handle. So you get a lot of our information there. See where we're coming from when we're talking about how biblical values and social justice come together. Um, and, and we're just building. Awesome. Well, thank you, Justin. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. You know how much I appreciate everything that you're doing, sister. You keep on doing it. And I'm, I'm honored to have been on here. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.